morning we're going to be in the book of Philemon. You may not have heard of that book. It's actually known more as uh, like a postcard. It's a very small letter that uh, was written by Paul the Apostle. If you're looking for it right now and you're familiar with the letters of Paul, it'll be the last one because all of the letters of Paul are organized by length. His longest letter is first in the New Testament. His shortest one is the last one of his letters that are, are uh, put in the New Testament. So when you come across Philemon, that will be the last letter that you'll read from the Apostle Paul. I'm beginning a series of, of messages on little books but big truths because God's Word, there's some little small letters or as some people call them postcards, if you will, that we can find in the New Testament, but wow, what big truths they have inside of them. So we're going to be diving into this one today called Philemon, the letter of Paul to Philemon. We're going to cover an entire book today. Somebody say, praise the Lord. The whole thing today during the sermon we're going to cover. And thankfully, I know you're going, well, it's, it's only 25 verses, so the pastor should be able to, to, to cover that before supper time. So, all right, here we go. This morning, as I, as I begin, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to just run away? Have you ever found yourself in, in a place or something was going on and you were like, I just want out of here? Anybody been there? Come on, somebody. Oh, praise God, it's not only been me. <laughs> You know, in a position where you're going, oh, I hope nobody uh, sees me. I want to get out of here. I don't want to be part of this right now. Uh, so, sometimes it's due to conflict. Sometimes it's due to embarrassment. I know I've been embarrassed before so bad that I just wanted to go. The very first wedding I ever performed, people, the very first wedding I ever performed, I borrowed a, a uh, robe so I'd look official. I'd never done a wedding before, but I thought if I looked like I had, I would do it very well. And so I had borrowed this robe from a pastor who was much taller and bigger than I am. He, he, and so his robe was kind of long on me, and the sleeves were kind of long. So I borrowed this robe, and I met with the couple, and it came time for the wedding. And I walked out in this church, and they had steps like this. And I was at the bottom of the steps, and I was down there, and I greeted the, the bride and the groom, and we exchanged some things down there. And it came time for us to go up onto the platform, in which I felt, in all the drama that I have learned, okay, Jane taught me some about drama, and other people did. It's not that there's drama in our, our, our marriage. That's, that's not what I'm, what I'm saying. But I had learned in drama not to turn your back to the crowd. You always look out, right? So I decided I'm just going to walk backwards up the steps. And you know what I did? I stepped on the rope, and I proceeded to fall right there in the wedding. Now, you may think that's bad. It gets better. The heel of my shoe is caught in the hem of this robe. And I am working, trying to get it out, and it won't come out. And I get up, and I think I'm good, and I go to step back again, and bam, I hit the ground again, twice. And I'm trying to get up. Let me, let me tell you something. There's no music during this wedding. There's no interlude. Everybody is staring at me and nobody is laughing. Here is the pastor laying on the ground right in front of the bride and groom. And, and I look up at them and they're looking down at me. And 
they don't find it funny whatsoever. So I finally, I got the heel of my shoe out from under that, that, that heel, and I hocked up my skirt, and I walked up there, and I said, you can join me up here now if you'd like. But I can tell you right now, that was one of those moments I wanted to run away. My wife was not with me that day. That probably wouldn't have happened if she had been there. She always keeps me straight. But sometimes we want to run away and get away. And sometimes it's not because of embarrassment. It's because we're hurting or because things are tough and difficult. Sometimes it's just that we don't agree with it. Sometimes we just want to be away from where we are and we will run away. Well, this postcard, if you will, is written about a man who ran away. His name is Onesimus. Somebody say Onesimus. Would that make a great name for a dog? Here, Onesimus. Come here, boy. Onesimus. I love the name. It's great to say, but this is a man who ran away. And let's just kind of begin reading, because this is a masterpiece of grace. Okay, masterpiece of grace. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's talk about the characters here. Paul and Timothy, they are comrades in the ministry. Paul is under house arrest. He's writing this to a man by the name of Philemon. It is believed, it's not 100%, we don't know for certain, but it is believed that Aphia is his wife and Archippus is his son. But that's not 100%. But it kind of seems that way as he's naming them specifically in talking about them. And it's also to the church that meets in your house, which means that he's got a fairly large house. He's probably a wealthy man. He, he had a slave. He has room for people to meet. So this is, the, this is the beginning of the characters that are involved in this. Let's look at verse 4. Paul writes these words, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love, and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore... Though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. As we dive into the scripture today, I want us to really look at the character that is revealed out of Paul of who he is. We know that he, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. Re, we read Ephesians and Galatians and Philippians and Thessalonians and the Corinthians and the, the Romans. We, we read all these letters and oftentimes he's explaining theology or he's telling us what to do or what not to do. This is the only book you're going to find. He does not mention the resurrection of Christ. He is not telling, telling them something to do. He is just being Paul. This is a very personal letter that he's writing, and we're going to see the heart and the character of this man named Paul the Apostle. 
The very first thing that really stands out here is in verse 10 because we get a glimpse of another character. His name is Onesimus, as I have mentioned before. And verse 10 says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, who I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. Let me give you some background on on what's going on here. There is a broken relationship There is a division that has taken place because Onesimus was a slave in the house of Philemon. And can I tell you something? Slavery is wrong. It is absolutely wrong. It is a horrible thing that has happened in the history of this world. But this man named Onesimus was a slave. And one day he decided, I've had enough. I'm leaving. Now, Onesimus was viewed no different then I would see that bass guitar right over there. That bass belongs to me. It is my possession. I do with it as I please, and I can use it however I want. If I want to sell it, I can sell it. If I want to give it away, I can give it away. It is nothing but a possession that I have. And that's the way Onesimus, that's what a slave was during this time, just a possession. They were not a human being. They were treated harshly oftentimes, but sometimes they were treated like family. But Onesimus decides, I've had enough, I'm I'm running away. You don't run away and let people know you're going, right? You steal away. You run off. I'll never forget the time that one of my kids said, Daddy, I'm running away. I said, okay, you got your bags packed? I do. All right, I love you. I guess I won't ever see you again. And they walked out the driveway up to the end of the driveway, got up to the mailbox, came running back. They never mentioned running away again. I knew they would not go far. But this is a man that when he ran away, he went to a place where he could hide. Rome was a city that was filled with people and was filled with stuff going on. So it was very easy to just blend in. To be able to survive in a city like that, you know, You can't go empty-handed, so it is believed Onesimus probably stole some stuff, stole money or something from Philemon, because we'll read about that in a second. But here he is in Rome. He, He has run away from his master, and as God would have it, he finds himself in the house of Philemon, or Paul. He finds himself in the house where Paul is under arrest. Paul begins to witness to him, and he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. But Paul comes to a place where he understands, man, Onesimus, you are so useful. But there is a broken relationship that needs to be fixed. If you did not hear last week's sermon, you need to listen to it. It's on our website, it's on our podcast, it's, it, we got CDs of it. You get last week's sermon that Troy Mason preached. It was about the reconciliation of relationships, of harboring feelings of, 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 of anger and how to deal with that. And, and that is so important. And Paul understands this because what Christ had done in his life was reconcile a relationship between him and God. And he wanted a, to reconcile a relationship Reconcile a relationship. See, God is interested in unity, not disunity. God will work where people are together, not where they are separated and apart. And, and, and Paul knew for God to continue to work in Onesimus' life, he had to reconcile that relationship. So what did Paul do? 
What did Paul do? Well, here's what I find very interesting. Some people are going to probably um, put some stuff in my email or talk to me after the service about one of the things that I'm about to talk about. But that's okay. We're going to have an adult conversation here about what Paul did. The first thing I want you to write down is reconcile a relationship. And the second one is this. Give them a choice. Paul understood to give them a choice. Verse 8, look at this. Though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. Says, Since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Look also at verse 14. He says, But without your consent, I did not want to do anything. Paul is approaching this idea that when it comes to love, we cannot force the hand because we've got the authority or power to do something. So Paul says, I want to give you a choice, Philemon. I could tell you what to do, but I'm not. I'm going to give you that option. I'm going to give you that opportunity to do the right thing. Adam and Eve, they had a choice, did they not, in the Garden of Eden. God put a tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and said, Adam, Eve, do not eat from that tree. They had a choice. Cain and Abel, whenever Cain offered up a sacrifice, and Abel offered up a sacrifice, and one was found with favor more than the other, and Cain got really angry, and God came to him and said, Be careful, Cain. Your anger Sin is crouching at your door. Cain had a choice. What was he going to do with that which he was faced with? He had a choice. There were choices all throughout Scripture that God puts upon us. We have been giving choices through our lives. And Paul is giving a choice right here saying, Here's what I would like to offer as an opportunity, Philemon. See, Dr. Warren Wiersbe said, Paul asked instead of commanding because law is much more of a motivator. The the law is not as much of a motivator than love is. Love motivates more than law. So giving them a choice is an act of love. So Paul gave them a choice. Now this is very interesting that in Deuteronomy chapter 23, listen to what the law says in the Old Testament. You shall not hand over to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall live with you in the midst, in the place which he shall choose in one of your towns where it pleases him. You shall not mistreat him. The Old Testament law said to Paul, you should not hand him over to the master. So what is Paul doing? Paul has worked with Onesimus to a point where Onesimus understands reconciliation of this relationship is important. Paul was not handing him over to his slave master. He was offering an opportunity for a relationship to be reconciled. Onesimus made a choice to run away, and he made a choice to go back. He could have at any point walked away and said, I'm not doing this, this is too dangerous for me, but he did not. The third thing that we can see about Paul in this in this reconciling a relationship is not only did he give them a choice, but he was being a substitute. Look at this. This is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Let's look at verse 12. I have sent him back to you in person. That is sending my very 
heart so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. So we see here that, that he's really, Paul is making a sacrifice. He is being a uh, sacrificially sending him back and he's saying, I would like to have kept him here, but he needs to go back to you. So Paul is sacrificing there. But let's go on because this really gets much, much better. Let's look at verse 15. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. Paul is making a sacrifice sending him back and Paul is also being a substitute an advocate there he is he is he is making a sacrifice and being a substitute saying that I am standing in the gap for Onesimus I am the one who is here how you treat me is how you should treat Onesimus don't look at Onesimus as Onesimus any longer Philemon look at him as you would look at me Paul the apostle how serious was this situation? At best, a runaway slave, at best, would have a hot iron. They would heat up an iron that would have the letter F on it. It was a Latin word for fugitive. And they would burn it into their forehead. So the rest of their life, they would walk around with this brand of being a fugitive. At best, that would happen to Onesimus. At worst, he would be killed. And it was completely okay and legal. Everybody was okay with that. But Paul, do you understand? Paul is saying, don't look at Onesimus as the same man that ran away. See him differently. Look at him as you would look at me. And then here's where it gets really good. Really good. Let's read verse 17 again. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Charge that to my account. So Paul is saying, I'll pay a debt. If he's got a debt to pay, let me pay it. Put it on my account. Put it on my charge. I'm the one that you need to put that on. Charge that to me. Wow. Here is a man, Paul the Apostle, who has been beaten, he has been left for dead, he has been shipwrecked, he has gone through all kinds of stuff, but he's come to this place where he writes this postcard. And wow, he is reflecting that which he had received. See, true love moves us to act beyond the duty of doing something that is right. Paul is acting out of a love that he had received from Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this for a second. Think about this. This looks like it's only healing in the horizontal, but it's a beautiful picture of the healing in the vertical. Here is Paul the Apostle, who is, there needs to be a relationship that needs to be fixed. I'm going to give them a choice and that opportunity to choose. And 
there's going to be a sacrifice made, a substitute given, and there's going to be a debt that is paid. He did not sit and think through this, well, how can I be like Jesus? He wasn't wearing a bracelet that said WWJD. What would Jesus do? He knew what Jesus would do because Jesus was living within him. He did not have to ask the question how to frame this so people would know that I am reflecting Christ. Paul just naturally wrote this and it reflects Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. This is huge because it's one thing to tell people how to live. It's one thing to talk about how to live. It's one thing to read about how to live. But when you're living it, then it's true proof that it's made a difference in your life. We can talk about the New Testament and how it says to love your enemies or, or to do good to, to those who, who uh, 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 abuse you or, or, or spitefully use you. We can talk about how we are to love our neighbors and to love God. But until we actually are in the act of doing it, we're not truly living out what we have received inside of us. The Son of God makes us free. Onesimus was a slave. Paul was in chains, but even though Paul was in change, chains, he was set free by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He was free. What about us? I think we're a lot like Onesimus, are we not? Aren't we sinners? We have lived a life where we have made mistakes. Everyone in here, 100% of us, we have messed up. And sometimes we've run away. Some, some people right now are trying to run away from problems, run away from their sin. They're trying to leave it over there and, and, and dwell over here. And it seems like it keeps falling and, and hitting and, and coming after. But here's the beauty of it. Paul wrote these words, that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. He made a sacrifice for me. He was my substitute. He was the one that took my place. And he stood and said, there is a debt to be paid. And the penalty of sin is death. And I pay it for Clyde. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus said, I'll pay those wages. See, Jesus lived a life that impacted Paul so much, he naturally was exuding that same thing. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. See, we have to understand the effectiveness of our faith is not how much of the Word of God we know, but how much of Jesus we let to have control of us. Let me say that again, maybe a little differently. It's not how much church you get during the week, but it's how much Jesus you have inside of you that comes out of you that makes the difference. It's not how many preachers you watch on the TV. It's not, how it, it's not about the music you listen to. It's about how much of Jesus that's inside of you that's permeated you so much that it just has to come out naturally. That's why I love here in verse 6 of this little postcard. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you. The effective faith that we have, let me tell you, this is the beauty of it. That which is in me 
should grow to become that which is naturally coming out of me. That which is in me should grow to a point that it's naturally coming out of me. Now, I'm speaking specifically about Jesus Christ, having a relationship with Him. That is naturally coming out of you. And there are going to be tensions. There's going to be difficulties. You're going to be faced with things, and you're going, I don't like this. I don't want to act like this. I don't want to respond like this. But what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to let Jesus take control. Let Jesus take the wheel. And then all of a sudden, you're going to begin to do things that people are going to look at and go, Wow, that must be like Jesus. What we do is a reflection of who we have become. What we do is a reflection of who we have become. Show me the people that you're hanging out with, and I'll show you who you will be in five years. That's why it's so important. To make sure the people we are around are those who are going to help us get to where God wants us to be. Not just for our own personal pleasure. As we look at this, this is something that is very interesting to me. Because what I see in Paul's life is a, I like this word, magnification of what's on the inside of what's happened to him. It's a magnification, if you will. Think about this for a second. This is a telescope. Yes? What is a telescope used for? Looking at the stars. This week, Jupiter actually is actually going to be the closest it it normally is in a 12-year period. Did you know it takes 12 years for Jupiter to get around the sun when it's only a year for us? So if you worry about your age, here's what I think we can do. I hope you all like this. Just respond by saying, if I lived on Jupiter, just divide your age by 12. If I lived on Jupiter, I'd be so much younger. Jupiter is one of the, it, it is the largest planet in our solar system. It uh, has some moons around it, and tomorrow night will be the best time to actually be able to see the moons, and you can actually use binoculars to see the moons tomorrow night if it's clear enough and it ain't raining. But usually, here's what, what we're going to do. We're going to set up this telescope, and many of you may even have a telescope. You've heard of telescopes, but... That planet is massive. It is enormous. It is 398 million miles away from us on Wednesday, which is the closest it will be to Earth. About 398 million miles away. That's a long way, people. And this planet is enormous. So much bigger than the Earth. But yet when we look out into the sky, sometimes we can't even figure out which one's Jupiter. It seems so small. It seems so insignificant. But then, when we get out a telescope and we begin to look through the lens of that telescope, we begin to take what's small and tiny and distant and far off and we begin to magnify it. And then we can begin to look at that which we can't really see with our own eye and we begin to see something that's out there that's not here. And we begin to look and observe what it looks like and how it works. And and we begin to write articles and we begin to, to try to comprehend this thing that is so much more bigger than us, way out there that we can't grab a hold of and we can't even visit. But yet we want to look at it and magnify it. Can I tell you something today, ladies and gentlemen? There is something that's much bigger than any of your problems on this earth. And it is Jesus Christ. 
And he may be distant to a lot of people and he may be way out there and maybe you even feel right now that God is way over there and I'm right here and he's not even in the middle of my problems and my issues in my life. But can I tell you something? Let's magnify him just for a moment. Let me tell you what magnifies him. This right here should be you and I who know Jesus Christ. Because there's a lot of people in our life today that we're around at the store, in our jobs, that's, that are in our families. God forbid we got some people messed up in our family. Somebody say amen. amen. Not my immediate family, but my extended family. Uh, you know, sometimes. But they need to see and hear and know Jesus, do they not? We are the only magnifier they're going to be able to see Him through. We have to be at a place where what is inside us is naturally growing up to come out of us in those moments. After this letter is delivered, there's a question as to what happened to Onesimus? This is like a cliffhanger in a movie, is it not? We get this, this postcard from, from Paul, the apostle. It's delivered to Philemon. And there's nothing else written about it except this. It's very interesting. A man by the name of Ignatius, about 50 years later, writes a letter to the pastor at a church at Ephesus. He writes in that letter and uses his name and, and the phrasing of his name 14 times. And in this letter, he is addressing the pastor by the name of, anybody want to guess? Onesimus. Fifty years after this letter is written. And this man is in Ephesus, which is real close to Colossae. Not only that, this pastor of this church, Onesimus, was in charge of collecting and putting together the letters of Paul. And so he was getting these and compiling them because there was questions about what's Scripture and what is not and, 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 and how does this all work. And somehow, some way, this little postcard that was written to Philemon about Onesimus finds its way into Scripture. We do not have 100% proof that this Onesimus is the same Onesimus, but there's a lot of evidence that shows that it, that would be the way my God works. That that postcard was delivered to Philemon, not simply by Onesimus and his friend, but that it was delivered by the Holy Spirit that began to work on Philemon's heart. And Philemon said, you know what? He is my brother. He's no longer a slave. And it was read before the church. And all of a sudden, this man begins to give his testimony and say, I once was a slave, but now I am free. I once ran away, but now I am home. Jesus Christ changed my life. I could have been killed. I could have been branded the rest of my life. Life, but no, I have given my life to Christ. He has made a difference. And people begin to hear that. And Onesimus begins to work. And people begin to rally around him. He becomes a pastor. He begins to lead the church. And there he is leading and helping us have the scriptures today. That's the way my God would work. Because my God isn't just one who's going to just let things slide by. He is a man. He is a God. He is someone who's going to be involved in our life to see transformation happen. And that transformation happened so much in Paul's life. When he began to just write with his pen, what came out of him was Jesus.
Here's my question for you. When you write your emails or your texts, what comes out of you? Is it Jesus? I know some, sometimes when you're writing something technical and you're talking about what we're going to have for supper, maybe, maybe that's not, you know, evidently, it's not going to be easy to have Jesus come out of what we're having for supper. But I can tell you that as we interact and we write our texts and we write our emails and we write letters or postcards or whatever it is, we should be reflecting Jesus. And if at any moment we do something that causes us to feel uneasy, we need to stop and pray and let Jesus take over. We need to do the same thing with the things that we say. But all this seems to stem back to Philemon. Why did Philemon make this choice, if he did, about this runaway slave, this Onesimus? I think it has to do with this. Look for me for a second in verse 5. Let's start in verse 4. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. I think what really makes a difference here is how he was loving Jesus, he was loving the saints. So what do I need to do? What must I do? Well, I am convinced you have to answer the question. How am I doing loving Jesus and loving other saints? Yes, I put other. You want to know why that's there? Because you're a saint. I know some of you are going, well, maybe my wife's a saint, but I'm not a saint. She reminds me all the time. My wife is, isn't that way. My boss reminds me. My dad reminded me that I was not a saint. You know what? I declare to you today that your heavenly Father has written down that you are a saint. So I'll start acting like one and like you believe it. Other saints. How are we loving other saints? Love others as Christ has loved you. Treat them as your neighbor. Love your neighbor. That is the essence of Jesus' message. How are you loving other saints not just the one that you, ones you like and that look good, but the ones that are ugly and mean. How are you loving them? How about Jesus? How are you loving Jesus? This is the thing that God gave me this morning as I was praying and preparing for this. Loving Jesus is a very private thing. Loving the saints is a very public thing. How are you doing privately in loving Jesus? Are you spending the time? Are you, is your mind dwelling on Him? Are you pursuing after Him? And what are you doing publicly for your brothers and sisters? See, it was not out of abundance that Paul was writing this. It was out of his pain that he wrote this letter. And in the midst of his struggle and pain of being under house arrest, he was still able to reflect Jesus if Philemon had just simply freed Onesimus from being a slave, he still would have been at the lowest level of the society. If Philemon had just said, okay, you're free as a slave, Onesimus, he's still at the bottom rung. But Paul appeals to him in this to not simply look at him as a slave, but as a, what did he say? A beloved brother. 
Jesus makes all the difference in the world. He changes the conversation, the attitude, the mind. So my challenge to you this week is this. As we looked at those five things earlier about reconciling a relationship, maybe this week you need to give somebody a choice. Maybe, maybe you need to let somebody go in front of you at the store. Maybe, all right, this just hit me. Maybe you need to slow down and let somebody get in front of you on the interstate. Or when the two lanes go to one, maybe you should slow down and let them in. Oh, that hurts, don't it? Maybe that's the challenge for you this week. Give them a choice if they want to get in. Maybe you need to be someone's substitute this week. Maybe you need to stand in the place of someone. Maybe you need to make a sacrifice for somebody this week. And maybe you should pay someone's debt. Maybe one of these five things, pick one and see if by the, from now to next Sunday if you don't get to do one of them. Because God wants us to be like who? Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus did for us. And God forbid we would not have the opportunity to be Jesus to someone over the next seven days. So let's see what we can do about paying for someone's meal, letting someone in, being nice, being a substitute, making a sacrifice, giving them a choice. It may be tough and it may be hard. That's okay. Jesus can give you the power. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this letter, this postcard that was written to Philemon about this man Onesimus. Oh God, how it reflects who I once was. I was enslaved to sin. And I tried to run away, but God, it was your grace and mercy that grabbed hold of me to say, it is only through Christ you'll find freedom. Lord, today, we all find ourselves in a position where we can grab hold of and receive Jesus Christ in our mess that we want to run away from. Or that we can reflect Jesus Christ into the life of someone who's trying to run away. Lord, may you use us. May you transform us. May you change us. In Jesus' name we pray.